appreciate the invitation to be here. Enjoyed this week so much. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to turn to Hebrews and chapter eleven. You don't uh, you don't really need even need to turn there. I don't think. I think that uh, you know this verse very well. It's just a, jo- a jumping off point. And to keep your Bibles open, we will move through some scriptures before we get to the meat of the message. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, let's stand together, shall we? Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to even please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then go over to Luke chapter 17. Gospel of Luke in chapter 17. And there look at verse, verse number five. Luke 17, five. The Bible says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. And then go over to James, the book of James. James and chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Why? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Then back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, birthed us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, thank God, who are kept, praise the Lord, Kept by the, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein, in that faith you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I like that verse. Amen. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, I need, I need to need God. How about you? Let me say that again. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, 
you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Father, please bless this time together. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for the praying. Thank you for the offering. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for the house of God. But most of all, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for salvation in him and the hope of eternal life. And Lord, that we will see thee face to face someday. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done this week. I pray that you might speak to our hearts. Fill me with your power. Please, Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that I might preach, that we may have understanding. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about the future of faith in your life. You may say, I have faith. Well, so do I. But no, I'm talking about the future, the future of your faith. Your faith is like grass. And if it doesn't grow, it gets brown and ugly and maybe even dies. Your faith might have been good enough for you to get saved, but is it good enough to take you on and beyond and to the next level? Your faith might be good enough for you to get saved, but is it good enough for you to go to the mission field? Is it good enough for you to tithe? Is it good enough for you to give beyond your tithes? Our faith needs to grow. We, in Myanmar, several years back, I was riding in a bus, and I was riding from Yangon Division to Moan State, and I had to cross through several checkpoints and moan uh, from, from Yangon into Bago Division and then on down through Karen State and then to Moan State. And uh, as I was riding along and I was looking out the window and all of old Burma was going by. And women with their loads on their heads, balancing these big, huge loads of sometimes laundry, sometimes uh, uh, crops or food trays with... with uh, uh, melon and, and different vegetables as I was going by and seeing the ox carts and uh, the boys and girls playing and the tears were running out of my eyes because I was back. I had, it had been some time since I'd been in Myanmar. The country of my calling, the place where God put me and the, 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 the people whom God put in my heart. And as I was in that bus and I was, we were going down that two lane highway uh, and looking over Burma, I bowed my head and the tears running down and I said, God, thank you so much for letting me come back because it was, th there were so many things that would have prevented me from going. And God said this, he said, trust me more, there's a new level coming. Trust me more, there's another level, another step coming. You're going to need more faith than you've had before. I got the message. Folks, we need faith. We need faith to get saved. Some need faith just to get baptized. 
There's a lot of people that are scared of the baptistry. They're scared of the water. They don't want to get dunked. But we have to have faith to obey God. Understanding, young people, God will not help, God will not hurt you. He will never lead you into a problem, into a place that is beyond his control. We need faith to understand the word of God. We need faith to, to uh, obey God's commandments like tithing, like witnessing. For some, that's more difficult than others. We need faith to be different than the world. We're not supposed to be like them. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be sanctified, yes or no? And uh, we need faith to find and follow God's will for our lives, his plan. Uh, we need faith just to do right. Because how God is leading us is different from out there. How God is leading us and how God, how God thinks, you know, we have the mind of Christ and it's different than they think down at the university. Thank God it's different. And so we need faith. All of life is about growing our faith in the Lord. I want you to look at Abraham this morning. Go in your Bibles to Genesis in chapter 22. Genesis, way on back yonder. Genesis chapter 22, and just a couple of verses, that verses one and two, and it says this, Genesis 22, verse one, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. God tempted him. Not the devil, God tempted him. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Look up here. God knows what we love. God knows the treasures of our heart. And God knows whether the things that are in our heart come from him or not. So he said, Take now thy son. The most precious thing that Abraham had. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Folks, Abraham, he did not misunderstand. He knew exactly what God was asking of him. So, let me recount the life a little bit of Abraham and his journey in faith, if you will. God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees where he was comfortable. Abram loses his daddy when they go to Haran or Haran. And he journeys southward into the land of the Canaanites. And when they arrive in Canaan, there's a famine. And then Abraham and Lot, they take their families to Egypt. And when they realized it was a mistake, and this is over time, they returned to God's country. But then they have a huge family feud. And they go their separate ways. God judges Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham intercedes for Lot. But Lot loses his wife. And really, he loses his whole family. 
God continues to reveal himself to Abraham and promises Abraham an heir, a son in his old age. But Sarah, his wife, is barren and cannot conceive a child. God asks Abraham to believe. Abraham and Sarah try to take matters into their own hands, and you know what happened. Ishmael is born. But he's not the promised seed. Finally, Isaac is born. And again, God proves himself to Abraham. But then God tests Abraham's faith and tells him to kill Isaac, who is the promised seed and the treasure of his heart. Really, this is a test of what Abraham really loves. God proves himself again. And just as Abraham is about to plunge the dagger into his only son, God provides himself, himself a sacrifice. Yes, praise the Lord. And then... Abraham's family is tried and tested over and over and not for God's sake, but his faith, their faith is tested. God tests Abraham's faith for Abraham's sake because Abraham is on a journey like you and me. We're on a journey of faith. We're on this stair step of faith, if you will. This staircase of faith in the Lord. Looking back, I'll bet that Abraham regretted many things in his life, just like you and me. Like the two times he lied about his wife, Sarah, saying that she was his sister. He wasn't doing that for her sake, but to save himself. But now in Genesis chapter 23, the very next chapter, look at Genesis 23 and verses 1 and 2. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. 127 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same in Hebrew and Hebron is the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So now in chapter 23, Sarah is 127 years old. She passes away. And Abraham, who did not love her enough to tell the truth before and to resist temptation and say no to Hagar. He now stands over Sarah's grave and weeps his eyes out. Abraham is a different man. He's changed a lot. I understand. Because I've had my own journey of faith. And I remember, I can recall the, the, the times and I can recall the stair steps and I can recall the levels and I can recall how God took me from salvation at 13 years of age 
to surrendering my life at 15 years of age, to going to Bible college, to starting a church, pastoring a church, and then starting this ministry, and then starting that, and going here and going there. The first soul that I ever led to the Christ, to, to the Lord, and the, the first time I tithed, and the first time I gave to missions, and the first time that I gave above that, and, and I, I upped my, my, my missions giving. The, the time that I learned that we don't give anything to God, we don't give any offering until, it, un, until we've given 10%. You don't give anything to God until the 11%. He already owns the 10%. And I learned these things just like you did. And it was a gradual process. And God led me in my faith. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel and chapter 17. And in, in, in that chapter, look at verse 37, please. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And David said unto, I'm sorry, and Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. David is just a young man. He is not mature as we think of maturity in our society and culture. But he's already started his journey of faith, the process of the Christian life. There is a process to it, you know. I mean, we're saved. And then we follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and it's the very first step of obedience to God. And then we learn to read our Bibles and study. We learn to meditate, we learn to pray. We learn to give. We learn to tithe. We learn to give to missions. Then we learn to witness. And we learn how to lead a soul to Christ. And the first one is so special. And we want another one. As soon as we've led that first one, we want to get another one. That day. Yes or no? I remember it well. David is just a young man. He started his journey of faith. And when he finds a cause, he has just what he needs. No, it's not a sling. It's not a slingshot and it's not five smooth stones. It's not, the, it's, not, it's not the warrior's armor. What he needs and what he has now is his faith. Amen. David points back to an experience in the past that has grown his faith for the present need in his life. Can I say that again? David points back here in verse 37. David points back to an experience in the past that has grown his faith for the present need in his life. God does not expect you and I to have faith to move mountains before we, are, well, before we have faith to climb that mountain. God didn't send me to Burma first. I remember wrapping my arms around a 15-year-old boy in the youth detention in New York that had killed four people. He lived in the, he, he came from the Bronx, New York City. And as I, as I sat there, uh, next to, as, I, as I approached his desk and I knelt down next to where he was sitting, I put my arm around him and I said, I want to talk to you about Christ. And he said, mister, he said, 
He said, God can't help me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. And I pounded my fist on, the, on his desk and he jumped back. And I thought, DeWitt, what are you doing? I thought that young man was going to hit me. I thought, I, I thought I'm in the wrong place. He got verbal. He got, but you know, the Lord broke that young man's heart and the tears ran down his face and he bowed not only his head, but his heart and his soul to Christ and got saved that day. You say, what became of him? He's in Attica State Prison. He's been there for the last 25 years and he'll, he has a few years to go. But every once in a while, I get another letter or another email from that young man telling me about somebody else that he has won to Christ. And he's won a whole lot of them to the Lord in Attica State Prison. And I can see from his letters, I've got a file of them. And in that file of letters, I can go through those letters one after another. I can see the growth. I can see the process. I can see the maturity. I can see the journey of faith as his faith has increased and increased and increased through the trials of life. And trust me, in Attica State Prison, there's a lot of trials. So, I didn't go to Burma first. I didn't go to Burma first where I would be arrested and jailed and interrogated for four days for preaching the gospel to Buddhists in a Buddhist land. God sent me first to Canada. And then God sent me to Mexico. And then God sent me to Ukraine. And I've been in Ukraine five different times. And I remember the first time that I ever got to Ukraine. And I went to that Kiev airport. They say Kiev in Ukraine. K-I-E-V. It's the capital city of the country. And I remember getting off the plane and standing in line, and I remember the soldiers standing, many different places, and they had rifles. They were in uniform, they had their caps on. I remember getting through immigration, and then I remember going through customs, and I remember going to baggage claim, and everywhere you went, there were soldiers. Folks, we're not used to that in America yet. But I remember being on the streets and distributing Bibles. The, we, we, had, we had Ukraine Bibles. We had Russian Bibles. We had Hebrew Bibles because there's a lot of Jews there in Ukraine. And I remember as we were there in that city giving out Bibles, we had a whole truck full of them. And as we were trying to give them out, the people, they, would, they were taking them so quickly and they, were, they wanted them so badly that they almost turned our truck over trying to, we couldn't give them out fast enough, trying to grab Bibles. The following year I went there. These, these folks had, had been westernized and they had some money and they didn't need God. And so they didn't want a Bible. Folks, we had a window, a window of opportunity in Ukraine. Right now, we have a window of opportunity in old Burma or Myanmar. We have an opportunity. We have a window of opportunity in Africa, in places like Uganda and Kenya. I'll tell you about Kenya tonight. We're involved there. And uh, I remember getting on a, on a, on a train. And... Uh, they said, they, they said, preacher, you need the looks. I said, I got the looks. They said, no, you need the looks, the looks, the looks. What they were saying is deluxe. And I, so I booked the deluxe cab or the, 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 the compartment on the train. 
And, uh, you know, I, my, my, my partner and I, there was one other American there, we were on our way down to the Black Sea. Mikolaev, or in the Russian, Nikolai, uh, sits on the Black Sea just east of Odessa. And I remember being on that train, and, and as the train was, I mean, it was all painted army green. And as I, we clacked down the, you know, clackety, 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 clack, all down, down through every village and every nook and cranny of going south from Kiev to Mikolaev, uh, I got the distinct impression we, we had a, a little compartment with a sliding wooden door and a little window. And I got the distinct impression that any moment a German soldier with a submachine gun was going to slide that door open and demand our papers. But he never did. In that little tiny cubicle, I mean, there was a bench on each side. There was hardly enough room in between those benches for two men to put their feet and their legs but we sat on those benches, and the benches had very little padding. They was just really vinyl over boards. You, they weren't long enough for you to lay down. At one point, because it took, we traveled all day and overnight, arriving in Mikolaev at 6.30 the next morning, stopping in every nook and cranny along the way. I thought, is this train ever going to pick up speed? But as we were there, at one point, I was so uncomfortable, I thought, I'm going to try something. I laid my back on that bench and put my legs and feet straight up the wall. And I fell asleep just like that. But not for long. At about 9 o'clock, the conductor came. And he had a steel bar in his hands. And he said, you take this steel bar, he said, do not go out of this compartment after 10 o'clock at night because of the train pirates. Train pirates? So he said, put this bar across the door that'll keep it from sliding back and forth. Well, I'd never experienced anything like that in my whole life. I mean, traveled 40-some states, been in Alaska, been in New York City and Chicago and some of the meanest neighborhoods. I mean, you ask this fellow that I call Brooklyn, where is he? Uh, you ask this guy that's part of your church here that comes from Brooklyn, and he'll tell you that Bedford-Stuyvesant is one of the most violent, most awful communities in all of New York City. And I've been all over that thing visiting troubled young people with Solid Rock Youth Ministries before I ever went to Burma or before I ever went to Ukraine. And, but I had never experienced train pirates. And so I thought, well, I've got my laptop here. I've got my DSLR with all my lenses so I can take pictures and record this missionary journey. But he said, don't go out by yourselves. And I thought, if we go out, we've got to take everything. So we, every time we had to go to the little boy's room down the car, we had to pack up our luggage, we had to pack up our, our laptops, we had to pack up our camera bags and the whole nine yards, and we had to go together. And one of us had to stand outside in the hallway in, in that corridor of that, that train car while the other was taking care of business. And, the, and some people that were passing by, they were drunk, they smelled like booze, you know, 
It was a different world to me. Totally different world than what we're used to here. The soldiers were there, but those soldiers, they didn't harass us. They didn't question us. They didn't interrogate us. They didn't, they, they, they didn't uh, slow us down in any way. But all of that, what I'm telling you, is what I experienced in Ukraine was preparation. It built my faith in Ukraine so that I can go to another place called Burma. I'm talking about the future of your faith, the future of our faith, my faith. It's got to grow. It's got to become more. We don't stay constant. There's new challenges. There's new trials. We have to go on, grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I could go on and on. When I was, when I finally got to Myanmar, of course, you know, there in the city of Yangon, old Rangoon, I arrived there. I went there all by myself. When I first got to, when I first, when God first told me to go to Burma, and I didn't know why, and I just went. And I couldn't explain it to anybody. I couldn't make my wife understand. I couldn't make my pastor understand. But I knew God had told me to go to Burma. There were five or six other preachers. They said, we'll go with you. I, uh, and I said, that's wonderful. I, uh, thank you so much. But about two months before the trip, they all backed out. And this little old lady in the Adirondack Mountains of New York, upstate New York, she came and she put her bony finger in my chest and she kept poking me here. And she said, she said, I think that God always meant for you to go by yourself. I said, thanks a lot. So now I'm standing there and, I, and we walk. Uh, foreigners aren't supposed to go into the residential communities. But we started going into this one residential community, walking right down the street, and we had gospel tracts, and we had John and Romans and Burmese, and I'm talking to folks, even though I didn't know the language at that time. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden I heard singing, and, I, and, I, and it sounded like Jesus, the tune of Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I recognized it. And the national pastor with me, he said, he said Brother Bob, he said, he, he said, don't, he said, come on, we got to keep moving. We, we can't be found in this place. I said, wait a minute, just wait a minute. And I headed for the house where I heard the singing. He said, no, Brother Bob, don't go, don't do that. Don't do that. We don't know who's there. But I heard that, that melody. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. You know, Jesus paid it all. And so I went to the door, knocked on the door. The Burmese national pastor is out in the street. And finally the door opened. And I, and I said, hello. And this man said, please come in. I, as I stepped in, I said, you are Christians in here. He said, yes. We got in there and worshiped with those people and it was wonderful. But the very next day, I was in a garage. And as I was preaching to 65 to 70 people who were sitting Indian style on a garage floor, all of a sudden, four men jumped up from the back of the garage and they came running towards me. They grabbed me by both arms. They whisked me out of that room, down a flight of steps, into a cold, dark, wet basement. They covered me with boards and sacks and so forth. And when they had buried me under all that stuff, they said, shh. 
They ran upstairs and slammed the door and then into the garage. And I heard a bunch of scurrying around, now shouting. And when the soldiers left, because a government informer had called, foreigner, foreigner. Those four men came back down the steps, dug me out of my cold, dark, wet corner, brought me back up the steps, put me in front of the people and said, please continue. Just like that. By the first of the week, now I'm going up the Ayawadi River, the Mississippi of old Burma, to Onglan, and there, after the third service, I'm standing before everybody, opening my Bible and telling them we're in a jungle compound and the police and, the, and soldiers, military intelligence with the camouflage and the white helmets, they run in, they put me in handcuffs, they take my passport, they take all my luggage, they haul me down out of the jungle and into this village and put me in a jail cell. And for the next four days and nights, interrogation after interrogation, they really thought that I was an American spy. When they found out I was a Baptist preacher, that was worse. Because they believed that Christianity is subversive to not only their government, but their entire culture of Buddhism. And so... I went on back to Yangon. I went to the embassy, the, the consul. We didn't have an ambassador at that time, but the consul met with me and he said, he said, you need to go to the airport and get the first flight out of here. It doesn't matter where it's going. You go to Pakistan, you go to Afghanistan, you go to Yemen, you go to Israel. Wherever you can get a flight, just go. You don't want to see the inside of their political prison. At that time, they had 52,000 political prisoners. I mean, people in jail, people are being tortured, people are living with rats and, 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 and filth for years and years just for advocating democracy. That's all. And uh, so I went to the airport. God shut every door. I tried to get a flight out. There wasn't a flight. There wasn't a seat on any airplane, any airline, any company going out of Burma. I, I decided, okay, I went back to my hotel, I unpacked again, and I stayed another two weeks. In that time, another couple of hundred people were saved. I baptized them in the Rangoon River with government informers shouting into their phone, foreigner, foreigner, but nobody came. Came back and started the Golden Land Baptist Missions and been doing that ever since. And so one year, I took my pastor with us. He had never, Hiles Anderson graduate from 35 years ago, and uh, had never been on a missions trip, had never been out of continental United States. He had no idea what the mission field was like. We had a token missions program. Nobody in our church knew what missions was about. Nobody knew any missionaries that supported. We had a, a token prayer at the, at, in the middle of every Wednesday night service, but nobody knew who they were talking about. Nobody read the newsletters. That's the way it was. And uh, so I, I, my pastor said, why do I got to go to Burma with you? I said, because you got to see it. He said, I, he said, I, I, uh, he said, I, I see it. I hear your stories. I hear you. I, 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 uh, I, I see your videos and your pictures. I said, you don't see it. He said, okay, I'll go for five days. I said, preacher. I said, it takes two days to get there and two days back. And it takes a whole day to go anywhere within the country. So finally he said, okay, I'll give you 10 days. I said, preacher. I said, you got to give me at least two full weeks. Finally, he, he came. So now we've been preaching around Yangon, the city, the big financial center of old Burma. And now we are traveling up to the village of Onglan where I was arrested. 
where Pastor Tainwini, my initial contact, the one who said, would you please come here? Now we are traveling up. We get there at about 4.30 in the morning and we go follow him through a jungle path to a compound where his school and his church and his, all of his ministry is there. And uh, so after I have preached that day, I, I, I say, Pastor Tain, we're going to take all these students, 160 students now in that compound. We're going to take everybody and your staff across the Yawini River. It's about three miles straight across. I said, we're going to take everybody on boats and go over there because there's an ice cream shop over there and we're going to have ice cream. He said, these children have never had ice cream. I said, I know, we're going to give it, we're going to get it for everybody. So now we walk out of the, out of the jungle, out of the compound, down the path to the main road, all the way into the village and then get down to the boat landing and I rent these boats and they are big long with this little engine on the back and we're puttering our way across the Ayawidi River, three miles over, takes us, an, uh, it takes us more than an hour to get over there and an hour back. We get out of the boats on the, on the western side of the river and we begin to walk through the village of Thayet, Thayet Mayu Township. And as we're walking through, I look behind me and there's soldiers. And, I, and we go a little farther and I look behind me again and there's soldiers. Now there's more soldiers and there's police with, village police with the soldiers. And my pastor is aware and he is breaking out in a hard sweat. And he doesn't want to be arrested. He doesn't want to repeat of what I had the years before. And he's just nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And I mean, we finally get the ice cream and we start back. I mean, I bought firsts. And when everybody had their, finished their first bowl of ice cream, I said, how many want seconds? And they said, excuse me, sir. I said, you want more? And so I got everybody seconds. And then when they had almost finished their thirds, I stood up and I said, how many? And they raised their glasses. And then when they finished, when, they get, when they're getting close to finishing the third round, I just stood up and they all raised their cups. They understood. They learned very quickly. We cleaned that restaurant out. The, the, the ice cream man, he said, he said, Baji, no more ice cream, no more ice cream. I said, yeah, you get to go home early. He said, yes. So we start making our way back through town towards the river. And I look behind us and there's motorcycle police officers and there's soldiers on foot. And now there is military intelligence with their camouflage uniforms and their white helmets. And we get to the river and the, the head, the captain of the of the whole group who is military intelligence. He goes to Pastor Tainwini and he says this. He points at me and he says, and he's grabbed all of our passports. His men have taken all of our visa papers and our letter from the tribal counselor in that area inviting us to come. That's how we operate. And so he points right at me and he says to Tainwini, he said, this is the same man that I arrested several years ago. Why is he back? And uh, so I walked up to him and I said, Mingalava, Mingalava Nikaula, Tuyarawantabare. He says, Oh, you learned my language. I said, You're doing better at English too. <laughs> so we get in the boats. He hands me my passport back and we get in the boats. 
He says, after he examines all of our papers, he hands them back. He says, enjoy. I said, Jesus didn't buy So we get in the boats. Now we're heading back to the eastern shore of the Eyawini River, the Mississippi of Old Burma. And as we get on the other side, we disembark and begin to walk up the bank and into the village. And I look behind me, and here is this military intelligence man and several of his officers. And they are continuing to follow us through the village. And so I stopped. And I let them come to me. And I, I looked at him and I said, sir, are you going to follow me all day? He said, yes. I said, well, then, okay, come, I buy your lunch. And so we went to a little cafe with all the students. And uh, we were having a wonderful time. And when we had finished our lunch, then I, I stood up and this officer stood up. I walked a few paces, he walked a few paces. I went into the street, he went into the street. And as I stood there, he said, he said, uh, where will you go? I said, back to the city of Yangon. He said, will you come here again? I said, will you follow? He said, will you buy ice cream and lunch? <laughs> so now I have a relationship with the very officer with military intelligence that arrested me in 2009. And I'm not afraid. Can I tell you, because of what I experienced in Ukraine, even when they arrested me, and I'm not trying to be a hero, but I can tell you I had perfect peace when they put the handcuffs on me and took me downtown. I'm just telling you, it was there. Now, I would not have been, I would not had peace five years earlier. But God had grown my faith. We're in a journey of faith, ladies and gentlemen. When I first started going to Myanmar, your pastor told me I didn't have a time limit. When I first started going to Myanmar, I told the preachers over there, I said, I want to go to Moon State. They said, you can never go to Moon State. I said, why? They said, if you go to Moon State, if they don't kill you, they will beat you and expel you from their land. They're so Buddhist there. Buddhism is so strong more strong than any other place. I said, I still want to go. They said, you're crazy. I said, I'm going to pray. So I began to pray. I was in Des Moines, Iowa. And I was preaching there in Des Moines. And in the back of the room was a brown-skinned man with slanting eyes and black hair. And I looked at him and I, I thought, he, that, that man is from Myanmar. And so it was, after the service, I went back to talk to him. And he said, my name is Cho Cho Wong. I said, what are you doing in America? He said, we, my family and I are refugees. And I said, will you stay in America? He said, yes. He said, my dream to come here to America. His pastor interrupted and he said, Cho Cho Wong is the greatest soul winner I've ever known. He leads people to Christ everywhere, every day, all over the city and out in the county. He's an amazing, amazing servant of God and such a help to me. And I looked at Cho Cho Wong and I said, sir, where are you from? He said, Moan State. I said, Moan State? I want to go to Moan State. He said, you can never go to Moan State. I said, why? He said, the Buddhism is too strong there. I said, what tribe are you? He said, I am Pao. 
I'm not Burmese, I'm not Karen, I'm not Chin, I'm Pao. Well, it's a very tiny little tribe. There's just a few hundred thousand of them, and they're mostly from China, but many of them in Mo State and Karen State, they're in eastern, southeastern Myanmar. And I said, you, he said, I was the very first convert in my entire tribe. Very first convert. He said, I, I said, you should go back. I said, Myanmar's different now. It, it's, not, it's, it's much safer than when you, when you left. I said, you should go back and preach the gospel to your people. He said, no, I want to stay in America. My dream to come to America. I said, whatever. Two years later, I was in Florida. I was preaching, and after the service, my phone rang, and it was Cho Cho Wong. And he's weeping, and he said, he said, Baji, I have to go home and preach the gospel to my own people. I said, I know. He said, will you help me? I caught a flight from Florida to Des Moines, Iowa, rented a U-Haul trailer, moved him back and he and his family back to upstate New York. Took us a year to get their visas and their children's paperwork. Then they flew and I went with them to Moan State and to the queen city called Molmian, where Judson started two churches way back in the day, 160 years ago. Both of them are apostate. Both of them have rolled razor wire. They are trying, they're not trying to get people in. They're trying to keep them out. As I'm walking through the city of Molmien, I'm going up a slight hill. There's girls in these beautiful, beautiful ankle length dresses and colorful, very, very bright colors. And and uh, uh, parasols, not umbrellas, but sun parasols. And they're walking, there's about six of them. They're walking down the hill. And as they're walking down the hill, I'm walking up the hill. And as we pass, I say, They stopped dead in their tracks. They said, you're American, no? I said, yes. I said, you speak English? They said, we go to an English school, please come. I followed them to the English school. The administrator met me. He said, please come and speak to our students. I said, how many students do you have? He said, 90. You know what I spoke on? I, I talked about Jesus Christ. I presented the gospel of the Lord to 12 on staff plus the 90 student body. And after the, after, after the service or after that meeting, I said to the administrator, I said, there's a place down here that sells ice cream about two miles. I said, want to take the entire student body down here and buy everybody ice cream. Excuse me, sir? I said, I want to buy everybody ice cream. He said, very long to walk. I said, we have truck. Well, it was, we made 11 trips in that truck. Everybody in the back, when we all got to the ice cream place, I bought them all ice cream, had the one, most wonderful fellowship, led two people to the Lord and took them back to the school and we went on with our business. I was back home in America. Three months went by. I'm in my office, I get an email. There's a young lady in Moan State. She says, I'm part of that English school. She said, I, I, uh, she said, I was not there when you were there, but a friend gave me your card and my family. She said, I have five sisters and two brothers. And she said, my mother and father would like you to come visit us in our village. I said, where is your village? She said, the village of Mudon. I said to myself, that's deeper into Moan State. So now, we, we get on a plane, we fly around the world, we go to Yangon, then I get on another little puddle jumper and we fly to the city of Molmien. And Cho Chuang picks me up 
And he says, where will you go? And I said, take me to Mudon. He said, an hour and a half south. I said, take me to Mudon. We, we went as far as we could. Then we got out. We're walking through the mud, down the lane, finally get to their house, take our shoes off, go up the bamboo steps, into the, into the home. Very nice. I meet the sisters, the brothers, the mother and the father. And the father says to me, Baji, why do you come to Myanmar? I said, I'm so glad you asked. I explained the gospel and he and his wife trusted Christ. Then his daughters trusted Christ and one of the sons trusted Christ. Yeah. 10 minutes, 10 minutes after they got saved, the second to the youngest daughter, she comes to me. Pause. Go back in time to the year 1945. It's one month before Hiroshima. And Abu Tile, a man named Abu Tile, he's just a young man. And he has been taken as slave labor by the Japanese. The Japanese have invaded Burma. The city of Yangon or Old Rangoon has fallen overnight. Now they are doing this clockwise sweep of the country. They don't realize that over from the, north, from the northwest, the, uh, the Indian Gurkhas and the West Africans are coming across the Chinhel Mountains and across the Bay of Bengal from the, from the southwest. The Allies, the Brits, the Americans, the Australians are coming across the Bay of Bengal and they have now the Japanese as they're making this counterclockwise, this clockwise sweep, they've got them bottled up in the Pegu forests just north of Moan State, 1945, one year before Hiroshima. And the Kempatai, the secret, the Japanese secret police who were based at that time in Molmien, they send notice to the general, they say, you need to go to these villages and weed out the allied paratroopers and kill anybody that's in your way. And so they go to a village of Kalagong. And Kalagong is on the Nine River. And they interrogated the, everybody. They ended up literally bayoneting <laughs> women and children and boys and girls and infants and dropping their bodies in area wells. Abu Tile, that young man, is further south. He's down by Three Pagoda Pass and the Thai border, and the Japanese are trying their best to finish what they call the Death Railway. And the Death Railway goes from Rangoon to Bangkok, and they, they, they want to transfer not only supplies, but prisoners of war. The Allies have already destroyed it by air. They've bombed it twice. Now the Allies destroyed a third time Thousands of these prisoners, this slave labor, thousands have died. Thousands have died. They've died of malaria and typhoid fever and dengue fever. They've died of snake bite and insect bites and thousands have perished. But Abu Tile, even though he's weak and he's hungry and he's lost half of his body weight, somehow he's still alive and they release everybody and now Abu Tile is walking home down or up the Nine River and he passes by Kalagong and the stench is everywhere. The stench of rotting body flesh is everywhere in the air and he finally makes it past Kalagong and up the Nine River to another river and then goes down river to the city of Molmian and then further to his village. 
And now he's sitting on his front porch with his monk, like his Buddhist pastor. And Abu Tayl looks at his monk and he says, troubled times, no. They hear the Japanese soldiers coming. They have their, their rifles with their shiny bayonets affixed. They're marching with their rifles on their shoulders and their caps on their head and they're marching in perfect cadence and they make their way past Abu Tayl's little cottage. And he and his monk are sitting on the porch and Abu Tayl says, troubled times, no. The monk says, yes, have you heard about Kalagong? Abu Tayl says, yes, I was there. It's horrible, it's worse than I could ever tell you. Abu Tayl says, maybe Matreya will come. The monk says, Matreya? Yes, maybe Matreya will come. The monk says, not many people believe that anymore. He says, why? The monk says, so long. Abu Tal says, I will still believe. I will always believe the words of Gautama, the Buddha, 650 years when he was getting ready to die and the people said, we're going to make a statue and worship. He said, no, don't do that. He said, I've spent my life searching for peace. I have found no peace. He says, in the Buddhist scriptures, it says, I cannot help you, but there is one coming after me who will help you and his name will be Matreya, Savior, Messiah. Abu Tayl says, I will still believe a Messiah is coming. Fast forward 73 years. And I have got this uncanny desire to go to a moon state where they tell me I could never go. But now I'm there and we've led this family to Christ. And 10 minutes after they get saved, the second to the youngest daughter, tears running down her face. She says, Baji, do you want to meet a 112 year old man? I said, that's amazing. I've never met a 112-year-old man. I've never met anybody like that. It's, I can't believe it. He, she says, he's the most respected man in our village. I said, I guess so. I said, I said her name is Kaintitsa. K-H-I-N-E-H-T-I-T-S-A-R. Kaintitsa, I name her Kinney, K-H-I-N-N-Y. On Facebook, she's K-H-I-N-N-Y. I said, Kinney, why do you want me to meet this 112-year-old man. She said, does he not need a savior also? I said, yes! We, it's rainy season, August, the torrential rains. They have five and a half months of horizontal rain with the winds that are destroying the umbrella. But somehow we're trying to make our way down the muddy street, mud halfway to our knees with the suction pulling our feet out. And I'm trying to keep these girls dry, but it's useless. I'm soaking wet. They're soaking wet. We finally, we walk a block. We go down the road in all the mud to another block and the fourth block and now 10 blocks. And finally, a house on the left. We go through a little gate. We go down the pathway to a bamboo home and we take our shoes off and we walk up these little bamboo steps and we go into a room and the family helps this old man into a chair and I get on my knees and I tell him I said I want to tell you about my savior I said what is your name he says my name is Abu Tile. he said did you say savior I said yes I want to tell you about my savior he said, I've waited my whole life to hear about this Savior. 
He said, I'm 112 years old. Please tell me I'm running out of time. He said, tell me, I want to know about the Savior. And as I gave him the word of God, as I showed him the scriptures in his own tongue, and he read it, he said, I believe in the Savior. He said, I put my trust in the Savior. He said, what must I do? Tell me what to do. I said, confess your sin, bow your head, bow your soul to Jesus Christ. Give him your life. Repent of these idols in the other in, uh, behind you in this room. And I said, turn, put your faith, trust totally in Christ. And he did that and died four months later at 113. You say, why are you telling us this story? The story is good enough all by itself. But I'm trying to tell you, God has built my faith over the years in so many different ways. I'm here to tell you, you know what my saying is, God does stuff. And he's done stuff in my life. And I'll bet he's done stuff in your lives. But our faith right now, today, is not sufficient for us tomorrow. We have to let God build it. We're in missions conference. You have a decision to make. What are you going to do? Let God build your faith. Let's stand together.